Business is simple. It's just not easy. We focus on three things to help you run and grow your business more easily. Talent, sales, and how to scale. This is the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. Hey everyone, Brian Whittington with this episode of the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. We have Brian Walker here. He is the president of StatWax, and we're going to be talking about all things digital marketing. How do we future-proof your digital marketing prowess, right? With the everything changing, we're constantly looking to reduce our customer acquisition costs. There's MarTech everywhere. There's every tech everywhere and things are changing, right? So that's going to be the topic of today. So all of that said, welcome, Brian. Thank you so much. Uh, happy to uh, to be here talking with another Brian today. Yeah, so at least you spell yours correctly. And my, my parents screwed me up for life. I'm, I'm with a Y and that's why I don't know how to spell to save my life. It's, it's up for debate which of us got it right or wrong. Yeah, well, thank heavens for a spell check. Well, I, I, so let's dive right into this, Brian. I mean, one of the things that we always ask is, okay, so what? You own, you're president of an organization that does marketing, but why should we listen to you on this topic about future-proofing your digital marketing? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I would say uh, it is the the team and the clients who we have worked with that I think can can validate some of what we have learned needs to be done to really set up for success in this arena. Uh, StatWax works predominantly with B2B SaaS clients. Um, and as you said, you know, so what we're an agency, every agency is like, look at, you know, who we work with and what we've done. Um, but ultimately, I think what has set us apart and, and why I feel we have a good handle on this future-proofing aspect in the digital, sp digital space is in how we have brought profitable scale to some growing unicorn SaaS clients. We have a number of clients of that, that billion plus valuation who have come to us in their early infancy saying, we know we need to market. We understand data, we're a SaaS company. Tell us what we don't know that's going to keep us here a year plus onward and have been able to, to grow and scale that marketing effort, that spins that they put into it by 10, 20 X without dipping into the revenue at all, scaling the revenue at the same time. And so in being with some of these clients who have come in from startup phase all the way through funding, either IPO or you know unicorn valuation, acquisition, et cetera, that's been done not solely on the backs of StatWax. This doesn't happen in a vacuum, but it's been done through the lens of future-proofing early on and keeping them ahead of the competition, even as so many other folks try and catch up in the digital space. So um, I, I won't tell your listeners, you know, how long I've been doing this and you should listen to me because, you know, the decade plus in this and everything, that's so cliche. I would say looking at the StatWax client roster and the successes that we've been entrusted uh, by these companies to, to oversee I think has helped us validate for ourselves that there is something to this ability to future-proof and do more with the data and the marketing uh, that is out there. Got it. Okay. Well, so let's unpack a little bit about what do you mean by future-proof? What's that even mean? So for us, I think the biggest thing is, you know, looking at what's coming in the digital space and in, in the hot button issues of um, automation and additional MarTech platforms, et cetera. When we look at future-proofing, we're trying to say, you know, what if we woke up today and Google, for example, took over all of the keys and didn't let us change anything on their platform? Or Facebook ads had no more targeting, which every day that passes could conceivably become more of a reality on something like that. What is going to keep the marketing spend that's occurring online profitable for folks? How do we uh, with a finite amount of ad inventory and space on any single search query or website visit, how do we keep our clients when they have 20 competitors out there top of mind and visible? And how do we provide them the type of tracking, attribution, and reporting as we move toward a cookie-less future, a more privacy-focused future how do we continue to give them visibility and ensure that a year from now, they're going to have the same amount or better visibility into what they got as a business out of their investment as they do right now? Um, and, and without that, if you look at all the news of the digital space, that's, that's a very difficult thing that's 
either already here in some cases or coming that, that we're trying to future-proof against is that inability to directly see and track some of what's happening and that inability sometimes to, to be able to play in the same ad space without throwing a ton more money at it just because of the noise and the competition there. Yeah, no, so... What would you say, and I'll, I'll, you're making a hard right turn here, what would you say that future-proofing on, say, this Web3, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's going to switch things up quite a, quite a bit. Are we looking that far ahead, or can you speak to that at all? Yeah, I definitely think, um, I definitely think that there's a, a big scenario where, where that comes into play. And, and folks have been talking about you know, um, using the blockchain more and, and diving into some of that. And I think time will tell how commonplace that becomes. I know there are marketing platforms and automation platforms specifically for Web3 coming out, a lot of it for dealing in NFTs and things of that nature. But even as you look at stuff like the metaverse and all that, like all of a sudden, all marketing is focused on that. You know, digital is always about what is the hot new thing in the press right now. And um, for some brands, it's let's create some NFTs and sell them. For others, it's how do we get involved with blockchain and with Web3? How do we become more privacy-centric um, and uh, owning solely you know, our zero-party data and, and no one else and capitalizing all that? And I think having an eye toward all of that is going to be imperative because, again, Google can still be an 800-pound gorilla in digital marketing, but they'll be around a while, but they won't be the only game in town forever. There's always something new coming. Two years ago, there was never a TikTok or a Snapchat ads. Everyone was on Facebook and Instagram. Now look at how almost boringly every day it is to be on TikTok and Snapchat. What launches tomorrow that we haven't even caught wind of yet? Um, and, and I think that's the that's the biggest area that we often see kind of left behind in marketing conversations. And one of the biggest mistakes we often see made is there's such a rush to say, I'm a B2B SaaS company. I need to carve out these personas on LinkedIn and put thought leadership up in there in some LinkedIn ads and make sure I'm here on search and I'm competitor conquesting and all the budgets put to that so that there's nothing left to explore the next new cutting edge platform or way of digesting information and testing into that. And by the time budget and strategy have been created to do it, your brand's number 20 in your space to have tried it. And so you're already behind the curve yet again. Got it. Now, with your companies, are they predominantly all inbound led? Are they, I'm guessing, not outbound led or are they a combination of the two? Can you give us some context of the lens through which you're, you're really looking at this? Certainly. They are predominantly inbound led. Um, obviously, uh, the, the big kind of oft-used buzzword is is product-led. I would say for the, the majority of them being B2B SaaS platforms, the goal is often to get inbound usage and let the usage of the product really then push higher tiers of revenue and higher tiers of customer. I would say on the whole, the typical Statwax client is not going to be the one whom is requiring a six-figure annual commitment just to get in the door and, and deploy an enterprise level of the product. It's one for whom there is a targeted type of buyer at a company, but the barrier to entry is low enough to push for some demoing and some free trial and then let product usage really guide them to fall in love with it versus the competitors and explore higher tiers of usage and bring more of their company and more of their team into it. But to get them to that point, it is predominantly inbound, um, whether organically through thought leadership and brand building, or in our case, uh, through digital spend on a number of different channels. Okay. And whenever you're talking about digital spend, you're talking digital advertising, SEO, and those type of things, right? That is correct. Yes. Okay. Now with product-led, I'm really curious on this. What's the typical... um, not customer acquisition cost. What's your typical contract value on a stereotypical product led? And I'll have a couple of follow-ups off of that. Definitely. You're talking kind of the, uh, the, the revenue value to the client themselves. Correct. Yes, exactly. Um, gosh, it, if we're looking kind of for average price points, you know, it's anywhere from um, like a, a hundred bucks a month in recurring revenue all the way up to, to a few grand. Um, 
most of our clients, and, and that, that might even be a segue into some of your, your follow-up questions, most of our clients come to StatWax with this understanding that they, they have a lot of this data on who is buying right now and what do they need to do in the product to, on average, push them to higher tiers. But they're still in that early enough mode where they're still trying to suss out lifetime value and kind of the ideal journey to get the best sort of annual recurring revenue. So we do have a couple of clients who are on pretty heavy annual recurring revenue of 20, 30 grand plus all the way up approaching six figures if they get to that enterprise level. But on the whole, our clients for a lot of them would be looking at um, almost like a HubSpot type of offering where I can get in there for 25, 50 bucks a month and get a seat or two. And if I can convince those decision makers at my company, then we start exploring pro and enterprise level where we're getting into a few grand a month. And that's when we're turning into that kind of annual, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollar annual revenue customer. Yeah, because I find this really interesting, right? So I'm I'm fairly old school here, Brian. My my gray hairs will start to show it, right? Yeah, and so I like the having the control of outbound, but outbound doesn't make sense if you're not seeing a seven thousand dollar plus, and probably a lot more plus, probably eight nine thousand dollars at this point, especially with inflation. We might be at ten grand by oh, the time sure. this thing comes out. So unless if you're seeing about a 10 grand profit per average sale or probably 25,000 profit per lifetime value, you know, over three years outbound with that sales development over to an AE likely doesn't make sense. So I'm kind of curious as to, are there delineations like that in this digital marketing space? Certainly. And, and there are certainly a lot of areas where, uh, as you said, even the basic math right now doesn't make sense for an investment in inbound traffic from this particular source. You know, just like uh, from a digital ad standpoint, on the whole, you could say, well, LinkedIn is going to be more costly than Instagram and paid search is going to convert you know, to a website conversion better than display banner ads. Those generalities also hold when looking at you know, inbound um, lead acquisition and SQL acquisition. There are certain channels for which we just know we would have to have an exceptional acquisition cost or a exceptional conversion rate of ad click site visit to demo sign up or something. And, and those just aren't necessarily always going to, to be attainable. Um, that we'll, we'll sit down, you know, typically and kind of work through that math with a client and understand what the bar of expectations should be or what the success metrics need to be, that is where oftentimes really powerful lead scoring can come into play. Um, helping the biz dev and the AEs work more efficiently and kind of trimming the fat out of what is landing on their plate. So if someone does sign up with interest in a demo or a trial, and we can try and enrich that lead and qualify it based on their company size or their job title or things like that. And if they don't match a certain threshold, don't waste the AE's time, maybe send them to a pre-developed resource of some demo videos in like a smaller trial period or something, and only send the best qualified to the AEs, they can work those more efficiently and probably turn a few more of them than they normally could with just a, a full plate of everything. So trying to find those areas of efficiency to automate our way through a little bit certainly helps. But as you said, if it's a very low price point to entry and requires a long time to develop that relationship and turn them into really good recurring revenue. That's when we know that we probably need to eliminate some of the higher priced one-to-one -one outreach efforts or some of those high priced uh, ABM automation software and things like that and go a little more manual, a little more old school with our paid search and some of our audience building and things of that nature. Now, I'm kind of curious, so I have a whole bunch of questions to come off of what you just said there, but I'm, I'm curious, for that top of the funnel lead generation, how much of, if we look at that total pie, Brian, in, and I know the answer is going to be depend, so if you can give us some caveats on where it would depend, but how much of that total pie would you anticipate coming from that SEO versus ad versus content creation. Can you give mm -hmm. us a sense of what that breakdown should look like and if that changes up for different product offerings? Sure. And, and it can definitely change. And so much of it would depend on 
you know, the state of the competitive market and all of that. If, if I'm a new CRM platform and I'm entering against the hub spots and pipe drives and sales forces of the world, good luck getting immediate play on, you know, organic, which is some, some thought leadership out there ranking and stuff like that. I might have to go all in on page just to start building some really targeted awareness and stand out. But I mean, on the whole, a good 50-50 mix or maybe 60-40 organic versus paid is what we generally tend to see. But again, that's that's with a lot of other kind of average factors in play. The organic piece is it's it's free traffic essentially. Like it's right there for the taking. You don't have to pay Google more money to try and attain it. What you have to do is be smart about your content creation and about is your website set up the right way to, to be crawled properly. So many folks we encounter have amazing content and thought leadership and great white papers and, and blog cadence and all of that, but they're screaming into the void because the schema markup language on their site isn't telling Google, here's what we're answering. So they never get surfaced up in those little, uh, you know, Q and A's that Google, all these zero click, they call it, um, search results there. So when we encounter something like that, then it becomes, look, don't, don't throw good money after bad to go and pay for traffic, change up your website and put these best practices into place. And, and you could start realizing all of this existing organic traffic that's already there before you even need to evaluate putting a penny into things. But ultimately, if they're a scaling you know, business and they're serious about really trying to deploy themselves across the whole marketing funnel, we do want an even, even split or at least slightly higher toward organic and have that really strong paid play there to supplement. Because in general, these days, back to your original question, there's always going to be so much noise in a finite space of, of inventory. So you always want that organic versus paid mix because there are going to be places where paid simply cannot make headway without blowing your budget. Or vice versa, organic simply can't rank you efficiently at this time. Let's pay to get up in there, you know, for some short wins. Okay. So then we, we get that and we figure out the mix of paid versus, versus organic. And then we start to get some opportunities coming in the pipeline and, and get some closed one. Now, I'm curious because I've seen people calculating this, Brian, in a gazillion different ways, right? How... What's your formula for customer acquisition cost? So as best as we can, we want the full look into all the touch points going into it. You know, it really starts with, um, now if you're, if you're talking customer acquisition costs, obviously the touch points with money behind them in some fashion factor in because you want to know in totality, what did I pay to achieve that? Our ideal scenario will be when we work with clients, to build kind of that full, what they call multi-touch attribution, another cliche, which I feel like I'm playing buzzword bingo with you here today. But uh, essentially what it comes down to is if I'm capturing a lead on my website in some fashion, and eventually that person could become a customer, we're first going to look and say, after the lead, are you recording in your CRM or your, your systems everything that eventually leads to them being revenue, because we're going to need to know what, what you achieved out of it. We want a cost per all milestones. But then the big key is capturing the right parameters when they enter your system that allow us to match back to all the touch points that happens and start to incrementally give value to those that occurred. Um, there are a number of ways to do this. There are some platforms that do it. Um, as with all MarTech, some of it's going to be manual setup anyway. Uh, for us commonly, and this might get a little in the weeds, but if anyone out there is just genuinely curious, Google Analytics has a client ID. You can capture that. And with that, it's anonymized, but it's device and user specific. So you can't see their name or anything. But if you capture that as a hidden field in your lead form, you can then build reports and Google Analytics will show you that ID how many times and from where did they come to your website and what did they do in their entire history from the time they were first found? And so we'll start building these reports that say, you know what? They engaged with this awareness building display three times. And then they did these paid searches. They came back organically once and through all those incremental touch points, we'll start to get a sense of exactly the true impact on the lead 
And then because of what's recorded after it, the milestones that occurred, that's how we start to look at what was invested in each of those channels. And then what percentage of a role did they play in the resulting revenue? And then also in the disqualifieds and all that, because we want to know where was the investment inefficient and where did it cost us opportunity that we could have reinvested more in the successful touch points. Yeah, and it's kind of curious, right, Brian, because this is where my mind is, because I see a lot of people that are, you know, oh, it's product-led growth, let's do that, you know, no sales, right, and then other people are, no, it's outbound, it's outbound, and it seems like we're calculating the customer acquisition cost completely different, some are putting in labor, some are putting in all of the technology, some people are only touching SEO, you know, the, the cost of ad spend, mm-hmm. and it seems like everybody's doing it a little bit differently, so until we get a universal acceptance of what how we calculate customer acquisition costs. Like from that first touch all the way through, there's a closed one and they've paid us kind of thing. I think it's going to be really challenging to determine the right strategy, which my sense is, is probably yes, is the right strategy, a little bit inbound, a little bit outbound, a little bit all of this stuff. But then figuring out the right prod or the right mix mm-hmm. to drive the people. So kind of curious on, on your thoughts on that idea. I, I agree completely. And you bring up a great point. You know, the one thing that uh, completely unintentionally I didn't even mention in calculations is what biz dev closed that lead ultimately, right? And that's, that's kind of that old school mentality of where marketing and sales would often butt heads. You know, sales is like, marketing's only bringing me bad leads. And it's only through my efforts did that one become a customer. And marketing is like, no you're closing more because we're doing our job and we're bringing you the better quality. It's like, well, really, again, none of it happens in a silo or, or in a vacuum. Um, if we go even really old school, there's still this holy grail out there of how to best quantify the value that like a, a billboard or a TV ad buy brings, you know, and then to say nothing, as you said, of the salaries that go into the right biz dev folks and how they are incrementally driving those conversations post lead and then follow-ups and all of that, is there more free value or, or are you chipping away acquisition costs if that demo lead uses the product for two days longer than the other guy did? Um, and, and so I agree with you. That is probably the biggest issue facing the space right now. It's, it's getting much easier to quantify acquisition costs just from like ad spend SEO, whoops, excuse me, ad spend SEO investment, but it's still such a vague gray area to look at it truly from an all up, all in business overhead investment standpoint. And, and I would agree. I don't know that there is any centralized, like standard process for doing it right now, because we're only getting more and more like irons in the fire with every channel that comes on board with every piece of martech that is then bought did this five thousand dollar a month platform that helps enrich my leads truly help them close at double the rate it's so difficult to say sometimes still well there's a, a gentleman i can't recall his name but he was writing his hey this is my ideal tech stack and i mean he had a whole litany brian of all of these different ad or all these different tools that he was using from a sales perspective let alone once you put MarTech in there. And so, um, and, and some of them are blending together, like some of the lead sources and, mm-hmm. and the like. Um, and you could probably put an outreach or sales enablement tool in that MarTech, right? So, so it's a blended rate. But he was saying, hey, this is around $1,000 per month. So a lot of people go, okay, well, if I'm th- spending $1,000 per rep per month, that's 12 grand a year. Well, if I get 24 grand, is that good enough? And, and I would argue no, mm-hmm. because if it's 24 grand, well, that's a margin of that 24 grand that you're getting. And how much of that is going to be an additional? Are you getting an additional 24 grand that you wouldn't have otherwise, right? So you might need a 10, 20, 30 times that investment to make it worthwhile because it's slowing you down in a lot of different ways. It's complicating everything. There's integration costs, there's training costs in all of this that goes into it. And I'm kind of curious whenever we're talking about future-proofing this digital marketing space, MarTech is facing it, sales tech is facing it, RevOps is facing it. So when do we finally go enough and you know just look for profitability, especially as we're looking at this downturn? 
Definitely. I mean, I, I've been personally screaming enough for a while now because it feels like every time I turn around, there's like five new, you know, MarTech platforms that are pitching clients, pitching our agency of, you can replace a couple of folks on your staff by letting us automate this and all, but then you get in there and you realize it takes just as much human bandwidth to train the system on how to operate for your business, to input the right information, that whole garbage in garbage out problem. I've heard horror stories of people using really highly regarded MarTech, but they don't record the right like lead scoring or post lead milestones. And all of a sudden they realize they just spent a month optimizing the, the AI toward disqualified leads and all of the data signals that go in them and stuff and have to like rebuild the whole thing. It's, it's, it's so hard to separate like the good, the bad and the ugly when there are 10,000 different offerings out there, even the behemoths like Google and, and, and search are the same. They have all these automated things that they want you to put into it. And some of them are amazing. And some of them ultimately don't save you any time. They just sound a lot cooler because it's driven by AI and everything, but you're absolutely right. You know, right now as someone predominantly in the B2B SaaS space, these years of, of venture capital flowing in and just, you know, burn through cash to show that you're just scaling and, and growing your awareness and everything are so rapidly every day being replaced by directives to run in the black, get as profitable as possible hoard the cash or at least pull back on it, you know, curb some of just the random spinning on testing and, and, and all of that. So you're absolutely right. The, the two to one return may have not even been break even in the past. And, and now it's, it's really time to evaluate. Do I have four platforms that are literally doing all sort of the same things just for different teams? And like, am I really saving human bandwidth? Cause there's still no replacement for someone pulling some levers and evaluating the data and looking and saying, this is the messaging that brought folks in. This is the piece of content that was viewed on average by more customers than not over the last six months. I need to put my time and bandwidth not into this SaaS, uh, this uh, MarTech platform, but into sitting down and developing the next iteration of that piece of content that I can physically go and get in front of these decision makers. Yeah. And, and you just bring up a really good point here, right? Is that we get so busy in the tactical execution or in how do we make these small tweaks and changes to this? And do we have the RevOps team? Do we have the team stepping back to look at this massive amount of information that we have and figuring out what is the story that it's telling us so we can take that story and ramp it up instead of this incremental gains, how can we exponentially gain because we see the story that's being told and now we can push on the right levers? Because I'm curious as your thought on this, Brian, I mean, if you think about it, in my sense, there's really only four levers. Whenever we're talking that top of funnel, getting mm -hmm. people into here, whether it's inbound, outbound or whatever, there's really only four. What's the marketplace that I'm going after, right? How well identified do I have my ideal customer profiles and my understanding my the why behind the what and the personas? So that's the one. What's my market? Two, what mode am I going to reach them? Is it digital, SEO? Is it outbound? Is it email? Is it telephone? Is it social? Is it which social, right? So which mode am I going to communicate? Then which message am I going to use on that mode, because each mode might have a slightly different message, right? TikTok is going to be way different than Facebook mm -hmm. um, to that market. And then lastly, my messenger. Who's the messenger? Is it a chat bot? Is it a, a, is it a video? Is it a human doing it? Is it an email, right? What, what is my messenger to communicate that? So those, in my mind, market, mode, message, and messenger those are the four levers to pull. And there's a whole bunch of subsets that we can uh, adjust the dials a little bit, but it seems like overarching, no matter what we're doing, no matter that, what the platform is, how much technology we're using, it's kind of those four levers or what am I missing on that? No, I think you hit the nail on the head and, and you're right. I think that's where marketing teams and, and the sales teams that work alongside them often can end up inefficiently using their time for a little gain, high risk, low reward kind of thing. I'm going to dive into the nuances of the bid on this keyword. And, oh, this competitor starts showing up when I search this exact term. And really, if you take a step back, the writing's been on the wall with decisions that like Google, LinkedIn, and, and the powers that be have been making. You know, for Google, for paid search, which is 
one of the truest like bottom of funnel ad channels there is. They've been slowly making a reality for a while now. It's not even about the keywords anymore. They're like, forget the keywords. Give us input about your audience and your buyer and your marketplace, and we'll figure out where your ad needs to be deployed. And people are still in here like, well, let me create you know, 10,000 variations of this one exact keyword. And it's like, no, that's still not going to control things the way it did three years ago. What you need to focus on is what is the hook in the message that I'm putting in front of this decision maker? And when that catches their eye, where am I taking them? You know, what is the messenger at that point? What is being said and shown to them? And for the folks who have followed that journey in the past, what did they all do and have in common that I can come up with some story and in some roadmap that I can replicate each time here to most efficiently nudge the next folks through that? Uh, and you're exactly right. There are only a few truly important and controllable aspects that what channel am I on? If I'm selling a CRM system, I'm probably not looking for folks on, on Snapchat, you know, during the weekday. Right. Um, but if I'm, you know, selling headphones or a widget or something, you know, certainly Snapchat, Instagram, Pinterest all day long, um, understanding that (coughs) aspect and then finding those differentiating factors, those value propositions, and the things that in your previous content have resonated most on that journey to customer and putting that first and foremost, that message piece is, is really the key. It's not about all these little micro adjustments that might change you a click or two here or there. Yeah. Now, so as we're doing this, as we're putting these different um, platforms in, in practice and our people are using them, what are maybe some key success metrics that you talked about earlier that we should be watching? So a couple of them on, on more of the, uh, the, the pre-lead side, um, it definitely, I would say probably the biggest no-brainer is like, what are the conversion rates to certain value actions on your website? And I think this is important because it's very easy and simplistic to say, what is my conversion rate? And a lot of people say, oh, we convert, you know, 10% of our ads traffic to what? Uh, to filling out a, a demo request form. Well, that's great. But when you're selling a product with a long consideration time and potentially multiple decision makers at your eventual account, there's going to be more than one action that needs to take place with that. So I think the real KPI on the digital side is a bit... Um, channel specific. As you said, one of the four big pillars of control is what, what channel or modality am I deploying this information through? If, if it's a, an awareness building display banner, I can't, I can't expect these awareness building impression-based efforts to uh, have a conversion rate to a demo form submission, the same as like paid search or something. I instead might want their KPI to be do folks get to my site, my landing page, and then go to explore my product pricing tiers or a specific solution for a specific vertical on the site? If so, that's great. They're at least diving into the research mode some. Paid search KPI, especially remarketing, probably should be. Did they fill out and submit a form with some usable, qualifiable material uh, in- information about themselves? And then a lot of stuff in between. So I encourage to to map out value actions on the site and figure out if someone comes in from this modality and messaging, do I intend for them to be at the point where they're just looking at my videos and trying to suss me out versus a competitor? If so, my KPI is, did they look at some product feature videos and, and maybe reach out about a trial? If it's higher up the funnel, the KPI is different, but ultimately... If all that tracking is in place, our true KPI is, are we improving the lead to close rates or at least the the lead to MQL to SQL rates all the way along? Are we incrementally improving those and improving that acquisition cost in so much as, sorry, again, in so much as we can attach investment to it? And as we talked about, there's always some gray area there, but even if we're just looking at purely as a metric of the ad spend that we put and taking all else out of it, our KPI should still be over time, we're getting a better close rate of the, the leads we're ultimately bringing in from all these touch points. And they're occurring for a total ad spend investment of less and less per. Yeah. Now, how about um, with the success metrics, that's going to be tied to your lead scoring there. 
Um, any key milestones or key attributes that we should look at for best practices and lead scoring? Um, I would say um, if you can enrich or capture the data about who they are as a prospect, that's certainly great because that can play into your, your internal business data a little bit right there. Um, typically, you know, looking at if you can look at the, the life cycle of an account that eventually closed. Are there multiple folks who ended up tied to that account who were part of the decision-making process? And if so, was the first one typically a, a marketing coordinator? And if you bring them in first, chances are it's going to lead to a better chance to close later because they'll bring in the next folks. Whereas if CMOs are never the ones who make the immediate decisions or demo the product, but a CMO just downloaded my white paper, that's great to have a CMO download it, but if all my business data says that that is almost certainly not the first touch point to produce a customer, that's probably not a great potential outcome for me there. I don't, I don't have the, the journey mapped out to work that one the same. So if you can get some of that information, you know, company size, vertical they're working in, is that a key solution you offer of a vertical that has less competition in it for your product? Those are things you can bake in. And then on the marketing side, that's where that roadmap that we look at all the touch points really starts to help because we'll start to develop this look at the average customers um, tend to, of highest value tended to really engage with these two pieces of content first. Or after they had been looking at our pricing, if they then explored this particular product video, they were this much more likely to close or this much higher valued. If we have some of those, when a lead will come in, we'll measure their previous analytics against that ideal roadmap and kind of give a weighted score as to how similar to our ideal customer journey have they been on. And that could tell us, you know, how much better of a chance of success just based on our law of averages there. It's an interesting comment because one thing that I wrote down here to ask you is how tightly aligned is that, that funnel all the way through from initial lead all the way through closed one versus the buyer's journey. So it seems like from a marketing perspective, we're really honed in on that buyer's journey. Very much so, very much so. Um, and it, it's, um, it's, it's common and I don't really agree with it, but I understand why it's said, you know, a lot of agencies or marketers will always say like, well, we're here to get the horse to water, the sales and biz dev team and the product, you know, that's what gets them to drink. And, and I just don't, I don't find that true. Like we need to be aligned through, through all of it so that we can understand ultimately whoever became a buyer, even post lead, did they need follow up? You know, it, are they coming in for a demo because it's free, but they're doing that for your six other competitors as well. And so on average, our best buyer outcome is when we deploy post lead nurturing with testimonials on LinkedIn and things like that. These are all things we need to be aligned on. Um, so that we can have that full buyer journey. And then when you come to us and say, well, here's how much I have to invest in marketing next quarter, we can say, well, great. These are the absolute touch points that are needed. And these are the ones we can test into, but our data in, in our buyer journey shows that they're probably a lot less impactful. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I always enjoy having marketing folks on here because we, you know, I grew up in sales. That's my, my, that's my background. That's the lens through which I look at it. And sales is finally looking at buyer's journey and align, aligning sales process with buyer's journey and harmonizing those two. But I, I like what you put here because I had this a couple of times as I've been talking to people in that sales process, you know, it would be really good, whether from marketing or sales, to be able to say something along the lines of, you know, most of the people, whenever they've gotten to this point in consideration they often appreciate this asset or this video. And if you know that's the way that you found people win, drive them towards that. Say, hey, a lot of people at this point want to hit the pause button and check this out. Why don't we allow you to do that? And let's catch back up at this date. That way you're still driving it and ensuring that you're leading them down the path that you want them and then getting them back into the next action item. So I think it's a both-and approach. Absolutely. It, it's, it creates an opportunity for such a personalized sales discussion and approach as well. You're, you're sort of aware and identifying and addressing needs or pain points before maybe even they fully realize they have it in a very organic, you know, non-creepy way. Cause people always talk about how much data can be captured and, and how, you know, creepy what we can see about consumers it is. But 
if it's if it's used to better steer the conversation, it's a win-win of making efficient time from from both parties. Like why why beat around the bush and spin in circles trying to figure out the pain point and the asset that might be needed and all when the information we're already capturing and the historic data we have is telling us what you want right now to help you make a better decision. It, it's just it's an easier conversation for everyone involved. And, and probably we find uh, nice and disarming for the, um, the buyer who's coming in expecting like that hard sell, you know, and that old school sales mentality approach like they've gotten from the six other competitors. And instead, here I am ready, tailor-made with the information that I know you probably most desire based on what you've been doing already. Yeah. Have you heard of a new platform uh, called Tolstoy? It's a uh... A competitor to uh, Vidyard? Tolstoy, I have not. Vidyard, I'm familiar with, but I have not encountered Tolstoy. Yeah, so what kind of what I have brewing in the back of my mind is Tolstoy is like Vidyard with a um, user identified or a user adapted story, right? If this, then. And you get to choose. So I'm thinking, hey, um, most people at this point would like to either find out more about this or schedule a meeting. So depending on how they buy, so if you're a fast buyer like me and you hate all the rigmarole, I just want to get on the telephone. Will this work? Why will it work? Let me know who it worked for. Give me the price. Let's go. That's how I tend to buy, whereas others are a lot more data needing and going through this path. So if you allow the person to buy the way they bought, they want, and you can have that user-defined um, path to it where they get to choose the speed and the, the steps, but you're guiding them like a, like, a, uh, like a Sherpa along the way. Hey, at this point, a lot of people want to see this, or would you just like to advance to the next step because you don't need that? And it's a if-then type of approach. So I'm just seeing that in, the, in my mind from top of the funnel all the way through. So that's kind of what I have going on in my mind. That's brilliant. That's a, I'm gonna, that's a wonderful tool and a great approach. It, it's sort of like a, we, we start by talking about future-proofing. What is the next thing up, right? It's sort of the next evolution of like the chat bot um, of people need instant answers and gratification. I don't want to get on the phone and go through the rigmarole of talking through all these questions and stuff. Can't you just deploy something that lets me choose my own adventure and gets me right where I need to be? Yes, I'm ready to buy now. Or, hey, give me some testimonials. What about a case study? Do you work with this integration? Same exact deal. From a marketing standpoint, You know, every platform is now deploying their own chatbots. LinkedIn, you can do a, a messenger ad that lets you write your own you know, different stuff to lead people through. It's what the data says folks want. Let them personalize their own journey. They don't even realize how they're being sort of nudged along if you, if you write it well. And that's where you know, good copywriting and all comes into play. But doing that from a, a video and a whole website experience perspective is like this next great frontier. It's brilliant. Yeah, I've been really pleased with it. So I'm just starting to mess around with it, but so far so good. Um, you know, it's been a, a whopping, you know, three days, but you know, so the, the case is still out. Well, you said gosh. you're a quick buyer, so you must be a, a customer by now then, right? Three there days, that's that's product-led growth is what that is. A hundred percent. So, uh, but, but that's the thing. It's inexpensive enough that it could be product-led. However, it also would need to get to, once they want to go enterprise, that's where you need the sales. And mm -hmm. I think there's some missing pieces to that product-led growth about how to play better. I think there's some massive difference to get that upscale, but that's for a, a different story. So my gosh, we could talk all day on this, Brian. So let's, let's wind it down through some rapid fire questions here. I mean, whenever you see people trying to future-proof their digital marketing and really get after this, what are some of the biggest mistakes or what's the biggest mistake that you see happening that you would suggest people avoid? I think the biggest one is uh, not having the clean data in the tracking, because if you can't start telling your full clean story now, it, you're never going to be able to optimize and set up and scale the right way. And so early on, folks who are just like, well, I'm capturing the, the campaign information, or I know they came from Google or Facebook, that's not going to future proof because we're going to get to a point where we need to get very granular and start to really understand all of the touch points. Did messaging A or B actually close at a better rate when deployed in this sequence and all of that. So before you start getting into all of the new channels and platforms and exploring automation and all of this, clean up and set up the data now, having to redo it and untangle that spider web later, um, we've seen firsthand can, can be an absolutely aggressively massive undertaking. Yeah. It, it's, it's painful to do all of that. Fully agree. Now, how about, um, 
best suggestion from a from a business around hiring the right talent or maybe um, how to grow revenue by using this or even scaling this process? What's one suggestion you might have for a company? Um, you know, talent wise, uh, e- even as an agency who's executing on some of these same things, we find we can teach like the marketing platforms and the channels to folks like you can go in and I mean, my neighbor's kid is probably Google ad certified right now for all I know. But what you can't teach is both like an appreciation and a love of just pulling the stories out of the numbers. So many folks um, kind of in marketing roles now and all, and it, it, it's not their fault. It's just sort of how marketing was taught and all still glaze over when confronted with just this big raw data set of like, what am I supposed to do with all this? We've found some of our best success, like on the data and the analytics side, hiring from like actuarial and finance sector and things like that, where they just know how to work a data set and pull out the trend lines and stuff. And, you know, start learning R and SQL and all of those, the the biggest skill sets, if it's not already here, they're going to be the most in demand as we look ahead are going to be on that data science aspects um, in, in the, uh, the, the modeling and the statistics part of it have really opened a lot of doors for us to take the kind of data that everyone's always had access to, but look at it in new ways and model it out in new ways that just tell so many more different stories. So if there was one place to invest or try and expand a team and a skill set, I, I would look to that side of things for sure. It's worth its weight in gold, we have found. I wholly agree with you, right? Because if you're able to understand the story that the numbers are telling you, then you can take appropriate action. Otherwise, you're just bl- sh- sh- uh, blindly shooting in the dark. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Cool. Now, how about different uh, resources that you might recommend, either books or podcasts or guides where we can stay up on these trends and, and become smart in the around the marketing area? Definitely. And I assume you mean, aside from this podcast, um, Correct. Yeah, exactly. resource aside number one, yeah. certainly. Um, there, were a, there are a number of great resources uh, out there from an SEO standpoint. Um, there is a gentleman, Tom Critchlow. He runs SEO MBA. Uh, it has been a, a very big resource for us because it talks about not necessarily how to execute on the organic side, but how to look at it through a lens of what is going to scale my revenue and how to talk about it and sell it either as an agency to clients or to leadership at your own um, institution as a revenue driving piece and a piece that needs investment into it and something that's often overlooked, which is that organic side. And people wonder why invest in traffic that's already there. Uh, That is a great resource. And he puts out really, really wonderful uh, newsletters and items Um, There's also something called uh, Measurement Institute, I believe it is, and they are all about the tracking piece. They've been leaning very heavily into Google Analytics 4, which is Google's sort of next complete change to how website analytics is is looked at and what you can track in there and all of that. They've been a phenomenal resource for what is coming from an attribution and a reporting standpoint. Um, and, And they just always seem to be really at the cutting edge of Here's what's up next in how we can view and understand the data that's flowing through all of these marketing efforts. Well, cool. And that, that leads us to the next question is, um, you know, what's the future hold? What's, what are the trends coming down the pike that has you really excited or going, oh, this is going to be a train wreck? <laughs> uh, both, both things at once. And it really is that continued push of um, Automation and where is it smart? Machine learning is, uh, that cliche has been around for so, so long, but it's exciting because if done well, it really can save a lot of human bandwidth and still allow us the ability to manually pull the levers we need to be in control of. It is concerning because it's so easy to do wrong. It's so easy to start up like a Google ads account and throw in some customer data from your CRM and link it up and have it just go spend your money and then turn around and realize your milestones were recorded wrong. You had the wrong attribution windows. It's pulling messaging automatically from your website and your H1 tags were wrong. So your ads look like garbage. Like there's a right and wrong way to hand over certain keys to the kingdom. And the direction some of these platforms are heading can be very helpful. Uh, the prevalence, even though Google frowns on from an SEO perspective, the prevalence of like AI copywriting to best understand, you know, based on this customer and persona and their, their consumer data, 
here's the content they want to see and, and, and dynamically update a landing page to personalize the journey, supremely useful. You just have to go into it understanding I'm going to work as hard and as much as I was before, just on different things, on feeding the right information and then pulling different levers. Instead of manually writing this, I'm going to maybe clean up the data this way. So you're not taking someone's job or replacing someone on your team. You're shifting priorities in what you do from a marketing perspective and letting some of these platforms work well alongside you. And that can be very exciting. Cool. Well, very nice. Well, Brian, I can't thank you enough. It's been a really interesting conversation. So who should reach out to you? How should they reach out to you? And why should people reach out to you? Yeah, definitely. I would say if you're you know, on the marketing or the revenue growth team, um, or, or really any position at any type of you know, B2B and or SaaS client, I would love to talk, uh, even if you're not in the market for an agency, if you just want to, um, you know, chat around about uh, growth strategies, are you in the right spot with your marketing? Are you making the right digital investment? That's what I love nerding out on. I could talk all day about it. If you're looking for partnerships to try and figure out how to uh, be profitable and, and scale that marketing, certainly reach out. You don't just have to be a CMO or anything. Um, you know, we really just like helping out and talking to like-minded folks in this space and, and helping each other do better with what's coming. Well, good stuff, Brian. I can't thank you enough. So let's really figure out ways of future-proofing or digital marketing. Let's um, make sure that we're doing a combination of either 50-50 or 60-40 and paid versus organic split. Um, let's make sure that we're figuring out a standardized uh, customer acquisition calculation, which we, we need to figure out, Brian. Brian, you and I should just figure this out and we'll give it to everyone, right? You know what? I, I, I could probably quit my day job. If I can figure out how to get that out there for folks, we might be sitting pretty. There you go. All right. So let's just get that taken care of. And then really consider your success metrics, right? So it's your conversions to actions and know all of the different action steps, really combining the, the customer journey with all of the aspects and, and guiding them from an altruistic standpoint to help them make a yes, no decision. Because if it's a no, let's get them off of this. If it's a yes, let's help them to, to make that risk, reduce the risk and amp up that time to correction for them. And that really would help them out. Um, and then let's get some lead scoring, finding out the pathway based upon that buyer's journey to get really good, accurate lead scoring and bring in, especially if we have more of a um, enterprise sales with multiple people within that buyer's group, how each person should score against the other and depending upon where they are in the buyer's journey. So some really good stuff, Brian. I really appreciate it. Any parting thoughts before we take off? No, I think that's great. It, uh, it, it sounds like a daunting list of projects, but you know, all of them, I think, fit really well just into the framework of, as you said, getting prepared for what's coming next in marketing and just getting cleaner, you know, more actionable uh, data from, from what a company is doing. So I appreciate you distilling everything down so perfectly. You got it, Brian. Well, I appreciate it. So as always, everyone, uh, learning for learning's sake is pointless. Let's go learning for application's sake. Take one or two things, put that in the projects for this quarter and get that done and then attack the next, the next, the next. Uh, remember, we want to help communities thrive through entrepreneurship. So really take this and utilize it. You get really good at it. Give us a thumbs up. Give us five stars. Share this with your friends. Let's get this content out there uh, to help our communities thrive through entrepreneurship. So thanks, everyone. Until next time. Next time, 